<laughs> yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, we'll um, start with the word of prayer, and then we'll get into our lessons for this morning. Father, we're thankful uh, that you have left us with a great example in Jesus Christ, and thankful that you have left your Spirit with us so that we're not without a witness. Thankful that you have left your Word with us and that we have clear um, evidence of what you want us to do. May you help us to find out what you desire for us and then to do it. Specifically, when it comes to raising our children, may we be honoring to you in that. Give us grace as we uh, look into these things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's just do a quick review of what we've looked at so far. Um, we said that the family is not the ultimate reality, but it's only a picture. It's only a picture of, of, of a greater reality. So when we make the family the main thing, when we I, I idolize our family, we've actually done disservice to what God has designed it to be. Instead, the family is a picture of at least these three things. Our relationship with other believers in the church. We know what it's like or what it ought to be like to interact with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ because we know what a good family, uh, how a good family treats one another as brothers and sisters. And so when we come to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, one of the things that we do is we join together with unbelievers or with other believers, excuse me, with other believers who are pursuing the same sorts of goals. And so what what the way that we live as a family is going to give us an indication or a picture of what it looks like in the church. We won't know uh what the church ought to look like rightly without understanding uh or, or without seeing a picture of it here in in a family. Um, also, our relationship with God, you know, we call God our Father, the fundamental way that we know God. We could say that the greatest um, thing that we could call ourselves is children of God. And, um, and so that, there, there are some dynamics to that. And the family helps us to see what it's like to have a right relationship to God. It's not the ultimate reality. It gives us a picture of our relationship in the gospel, that is, our relationship with God as our Father. And then even the relationships within the Godhead, that you have God the Father and God the Son, and that they interact in a in a certain way with regard to their function. Obviously, they are the same in essence, um, but the family is only a picture of those things, not the ultimate reality. And so the point is, is that God wants to project some of these great truths through the families, uh, through families, and so we want to get our families as close in line with what God wants, so that we are better reflecting these things, so that we're better pictures. Okay, just think of a distorted picture over here of something, and then a really bright, vibrant picture. See, it, it's not the ultimate thing; it's not actually like being there, but it's a picture, and it helps us to see what the real thing is actually like. And that's what we want to be as families. Um, and so we, we want to seek to, um, to project what God really is, what the gospel really is, 
And that's why we spent so much time on talking about the importance of family. And so we want to reflect God's greatness in our family. And so we seek to, to make this picture clearer and clearer, brighter and brighter, so that these pictures can be seen. To do this, we must raise godly boys, godly young men, um, and godly young women. We want them to be distinct in their gender, to recognize that there is a masculinity that is uh, required of boys and a femininity that God promotes in the Scriptures. And so we took a couple of weeks to look at that. And then last week we looked at, or last, last time, two weeks ago, we looked at lessons that kids must learn. And we went to the book of Proverbs and we looked at some very practical things that kids ought to do these ten things. And I put at the top of both of these uh, really the two main ones. These don't, these don't really summarize all of them below it. But fear their God and love their neighbors. And if you think about the whole law as it can be summarized into two uh, main laws, the first is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And the second is like unto it, commandment 6 through 10, love your neighbor as yourself. We could take any law and and uh, and narrow it down to one of those two ideas. And so part of loving their neighbor, part of fearing their God is obeying their parents and controlling their lusts. And so all of these things really just point to uh, the fact that we're trying to develop children who are wise. That's what the book of Proverbs is about. And and we said that, that in order to do that, we need to be displaying these sorts of things ourselves. We need to be controlling our own lusts, watching our own words, managing our money, and so on, and then showing our children how to do the same. Uh, sometimes just through example, other times through clear instruction. So, in order to have this picture become vibrant and right for what it ought to be, then we need to be uh, looking to raise kids with, with not only proper behavior, but, but more than that. We want them to, to have a heart that overflows with love from God. And I think that's really what's behind all of this, that it's not enough just to give a, a set of rules. And if we can get our kids to obey rules 1 through 27, then, then we've got the godly kid. That, that doesn't work. Okay, there's lots of kids who can conform with regard to external appearances, but who are corrupt in their hearts. And so we seek to, to get to their hearts, and the way that we do that is through the Word. We'll look at that a little bit more today when we talk about communication. Any questions on what we've talked about so far? All right, we want to answer at least two questions this morning with regard to communication. First, why we communicate. And secondly, what what do we communicate or when do we communicate? What and when? Those kind of go together. And then next week we'll look at how we communicate and when uh, we communicate. And um, if we have enough time, we actually might start into next week's a little bit. Uh, it's not on your handout, but uh, we'll see where we get get to. First, why do we communicate? Why was why must we communicate with our children? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 
Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, we're back here at the, this passage that we've looked at before, and I think it uh, leaves us with some principles that are helpful for us as parents. And uh, let me read verses 4 through 9 again. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which, which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, the main uh, thing that we want to focus on for today with regard to communication is verse 7. See those first few words there? You shall teach them diligently, or as other translations say, impress these things upon your children. Impress them upon your children. And so the first reason why we need to communicate is because simply God commands it. Parents are commanded to communicate the truths of God to their children. Not just we communicate about things in general, but specifically truths about God. Notice in the context what he's talking about. Verse 6, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart so that you can impress them, very next word, the very next phrase, so that you can teach them diligently to your son. So you need to know how to love the Lord your God. You need to recognize that God is one. And when you do, that should translate into communication with your children. That you should be impressing this upon them. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua was interested in his people making the right choice. And so at the end of his life, he wanted to make sure that people were on the same page as him. And so these familiar verses here in Joshua 24:14, Joshua says to them, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Okay, and if we think about who their fathers were, these were the ones who didn't inherit the promised land but were people of Israel. They were part of the people who were going around throughout the wilderness with Moses, but they didn't really follow God. They were just a part of the, the covenant community, but they didn't. most of them didn't have a close relationship with God or a genuine relationship with God. So, so Josh was saying, don't be like that. Okay, We're starting a new uh, generation. We want to see God honored through us. So, so put away those gods that your fathers um, that your father served. Verse 15, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which you were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua had received, reaped the benefits of loving his God, of of seeing God's promises fulfilled in his life. He was one of the 
faithful two spies who came back from Israel at the outset and uh, was afforded the opportunity to actually see the promised land. He and Caleb, the oldest two, to be able to see the promised land. And uh, so he was a beneficiary of God's promises. And so what he's doing at the end of his life is this very principle. I'm trying to impress this upon other people. For him, it's it's um, other people, but specifically also it is his own house, isn't it? As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. What happens then if we fail in this? What happens if we fail to pass on the commandments that we have received? What happens if we pa- fail to pass on what God has taught to us? Okay, so just think about yourself and your situation. God has been faithful to you, and He's allowed you to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So is it automatic that your children are going to do the same thing? Turn to Judges chapter 2. Probably just one page over for you. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Joshua dies here in in the previous few verses. And then verse 10. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So what generation do you think that's talking about? Okay, the generation that was in the promised land, that enjoyed all the benefits of God's God's promises. And then there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which He had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. I imagine that some of these kids who are now adults here that are being described as following other gods actually got to witness some of God's great works in the land of promise. They got to see or hear about stories at the very least of their fathers being able to walk around the walls of Jericho and cross over the Jordan River before that and defeating the Amorites and driving out many of the Canaanites throughout the land and and taking possession. Maybe they were there when they heard Joshua call out the names of their forefathers, their families. You know how they're each connected to the various tribes? They're standing there hearing The tribe of Zebulun, we're over in this area, and here the whole area marked out a land that once was was so far away from Israel, so so foreign to them really, has now become their home. And yet now what we read about them is their parents have died, and another generation rises up. They're now adults apparently, and they don't know the Lord. They don't remember what God had done for Israel. So, we have a responsibility to pass on these truths to our children. Let me put it to you this way. We are only one generation away from the Gospel being rejected. Our children are not guaranteed to receive, respond to, and be excited about the Gospel as much as we are, are they? 
There's no guarantee. Now, obviously, there's a, there's a general command or a general principle in the book of Proverbs. We talked about this before. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. There's a general principle. But apparently what's happened here is that, is that the gospel or truth of God, the glory of God, the greatness of God was only assumed by the parents instead of clearly instructed, clearly impressed upon. Okay, so here's where it, it's very important for us parents. And that is that we can't assume that our kids are going to get the fire. Okay, they're not going to, to understand the glory of God like we have. Think about all the water that's I mean, all, all the, the water that's been under the bridge for us, so to speak. Right? I mean we We've seen so much of God's glory. We've seen how He's worked in our lives. We've seen some great things that He's done, how He's brought us deep out of sin in some cases. And we can't just assume that our children are going to understand that. But rather, we need to impress these things upon them. We need to teach them to them. We need to keep them on the front of their minds who God is and why we live here, why we exist. And um, we, we have to be careful about that. As a church, we can't assume that the children of our church are, are going to turn out like we did. Okay, They're not going to necessarily get the gospel. They're not necessarily going to accept Christ and continue to follow Him, to persevere in it. And so why do we communicate? We communicate so that our children would know God and live. What I mean by that is we want our children to have spiritual life. Okay, I'm not saying, you know, we, we commuted our kid our children so they don't die physically. That's not the idea. But we want to, them to know God, know to know true life. Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life and that you may have it what? More abundantly. And I think that includes both the next life and it's we start to enjoy that abundant life now, in this life, we don't say, oh, this, this life's terrible, we can't wait for it to end. In a sense, that's true, but, but ultimately, there is joy in this life. There is great joy. So why does God command me to speak His Word to my children? Because we want our kids to know God and live. You see, your words are powerful in your children's lives. And without formal and informal biblical instruction, our kids aren't going to get it. Because if you think about it, they are constantly being formed by the secular culture. If you are not positively giving them informal and formal instruction then they are automatically being instructed informally and sometimes formally by the secular culture, by the godless culture, by the de- deceptive philosophies, by the howl deceits. I mean, think about kids who even have been in this church who sat under the teaching of God's Word and now have defied God, who have turned away from the faith. How could that be? I mean, obviously, um, you know, the, again, there's a principle there that 
general principle that in most cases when we train up a child in a way he should go, he will not depart from it. But but if we don't recognize that we are in a battle and that these kids are being pulled by the world, we don't recognize that, then we will lose. I mean, obviously we recognize this is God's battle. You know, this is ultimately God that has to do the work in them. But, But we are the conduits of His grace. We are the ones through whom God's going to accomplish His purposes. So that's why this job is so important. We need to train our children. We need to formally and informally instruct them. When I say informally, I just mean, you know, it's not in the classroom setting. We sit them down. Let's talk to you about spiritual things. But as things come up, you know, this is the idea in Deuteronomy 6 where... um, can't think of the exact wording, but as you lie down, you know, you shall talk about these things when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. So these aren't formal things. If a person's lying down, right, we wouldn't do that in a formal setting. Um, some of you might in the church service, but that's a different story. Um, but, but, uh, but these are informal times in which we teach. Just whenever we're going through life, that's the idea. As we're, as we're going to the grocery store, as we're watching a ball game or, or whatever, it's, it's like the, the it ought to be a part of the air we breathe, you know, that we're just constantly talking to them about the things of God, that we don't even think about it sometimes. And we hope to see that same thing in our children, that God actually does get a hold of their hearts. Parents specifically, you are divinely appointed to commend God's work to them. Psalm 145 verse 4 talks about how one generation will tell of God's praises to the next. Okay, This is what we would have liked to see in the people of Israel who had received the promised land. We would have liked them to have passed on the greatness of God. And maybe they did in some ways, but maybe they failed in others. The fact that a whole generation rises up and rejects God seems to indicate that they assumed that this generation would just automatically get the greatness of God. And that doesn't happen. It needs to be formally taught. Turn to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. Look at verse 46. This is Moses speaking to Israel. He says, Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today, which you shall command to your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. See this connection here between God's between knowing God and life? See what what Moses says there in verse forty six? Uh, verse forty seven. For it is not an idle word to you, indeed it is your life. God's words are life. Jesus um, this is illustrated, I think, very clearly when Jesus is teaching. And after he had fed um, several thousand people, 
he started to teach some hard things, some difficult things. Not like, um, you know, complex where you can't, but, but difficult in the sense that this requires something of me. This requires some work from me. And so what happened? A bunch of people turned away. And what did Jesus say to his disciples there in John chapter 8? To his disciples, he said, what, Are you going to go to? Do you remember what Peter's response was? What was it? Where can we go? You have the words of life. We're teaching our children to know God because to know God, to know His Word, is to have life. And so it's not some just ethereal thing, you know, we want to, hey, we want you to know God. No, we want them to know His Word. So any time that we we invest in them to know the Word of God, whether that be through just formal, informal instruction, memorization, catechism type things, okay, that, that's an investment in their spiritual life. So we want them to know God and His law, His love. We want our kids to live, and faith only comes one way. Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing Okay, or we could say say it this way, faith which brings life, so life comes only one way. It comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. Don't assume that your kids are going to just get the Scriptures automatically. Don't assume that kids in our church are just going to get it. We need to use the Word of God to instruct, to instruct them. The Scriptures repeatedly teach that God's Word alone provides that truth that can bring life to the hearers. And so we must echo this in the way that we speak. We must make this a part of our, 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 um, our existence, our sometimes not even thinking. We just talk about the words of God. Alright, so that's why we communicate. We're going to look at what we communicate to them next but does anyone have any questions or comments on why we communicate it is very simply god commands us and we want them to have life all right what ought we to communicate we ought to communicate to them the bible we want to train our children to think biblically we don't want them, as they get older and older, to, to think, you know, I, I don't want to do this because Dad doesn't want me to do this or because Mom want, doesn't want We want them to think, I don't want to do this because God doesn't want me to do this. Okay, And so we're constantly pointing them back to God. We want them to see the importance of living for God because guess what? They're all going to get out from underneath our authority at some point. And when they do, they're not going to have us over their shoulder telling them what is right and wrong. And so we want them to think, this is you defying God when you walk into this sin. Okay? But this is you obeying God when you, when, you, when you do this act of righteousness. And so that's what we really want for our kids. We want you know, we want this truth of God to be impressed upon them so much that they recognize that this is actually from God, that this is God's Word. And that's why um, we need to be careful about 
the rules and regulations that we set up. It's good to have rules and regulations. Uh, it's good to have boundaries for them, particularly when they are not wise enough to make boundaries for themselves. But uh, it's also good to, as they get older, to start helping them to see why those boundaries are there. And so we shouldn't have arbitrary boundaries. We should, we should have boundaries that are derived from some principle in Scripture so that they can see that this is actually something that actually will give you life, that will benefit you. So what do we want for our kids? We want them to be trained biblically. In short, we want them to be conformed to the image of Christ. We want Christian maturity. We want them to see Christ, to know Christ. And there's only one way that Christian maturity happens, and that happens through the power of the Spirit as He works through the Word. We don't have the ability to impart the Holy Spirit to a person. We don't have the ability to impart Christ to the person, but we do have the ability to impart His living Word. And so that's what we do. We, we, we recognize that the Scriptures are necessary for their maturity and that our task as parents is to impart these things to our children. Psalm 119 says, 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Hebrews 4.12 says that it, it pierces through even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the intents of the heart. Do you know anything else in this world? Do you know any psychologist who can judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart? And only the Scriptures can do that. And so we impart the Scriptures to them. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God, written down for our benefit, and it is useful or profitable for teaching and for rebuking and for correcting and training in righteousness. Parents, your children need nothing more than the Word of God. And certainly they need nothing less. It's not enough for us to just teach our children to be behave. You know, to teach them to act like children. There are lots of pockets of um, fundamentalist churches that promote behaviorism. Do you know what I mean by that? That we want to we want to have an outwardly conforming type person, so that they look all uh, proper and that they're you know able to say lots of verses. But you know, if we think about it. Uh, the Pharisees were very much like this as well. Jesus called them like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they're very beautiful. But on the inside, they, they were full of dead men's bones. And so we're not looking to just paint the outside of our kids. And that's why I keep saying that we need to impress these things upon their hearts. The way that we do that is by giving them the Word of God. Let's see the inside cleaned out. When the inside's cleaned out, the outside's going to be clean. That's what Jesus said about the cup, Remember? He said, if the inside's clean, then the outside will be clean. So let's let's work on that and, and see what happens from that. That doesn't mean we don't set up boundaries to help them in their behavior, but ultimately we're we're seeking to get at their heart. Instead of saying, you know, you you did this wrong, let's go back to the running in the house situation. You did this wrong, so 
um, so, so stop doing that. Well, if we get a kid that just never runs in the house and we never address any of their other sin problems, then we've actually failed. We need to teach them about the, the, the deception of their own hearts. You know how deceptive your own heart is that sometimes you don't even see the sin that you're doing until someone else comes to you and shows it to you from the Scriptures. And that's what we want to do with our kids. We want to use the Scriptures like a mirror to point it back at them and say, see this? See how ugly that is? See, see how when you treated your sister this way that it came out like this? And this is what God thinks about it. Okay, and so we use the Scriptures as a mirror to help shape them, to help mold them. Uh, we don't just seek them to get all the rules right, all the things that we want done in our house right, but we actually seek to get to their heart through the Scriptures, help draw out some of those things that, that, are, um, that are deceiving them. And I can tell you that with my three kids, they struggle with different areas. They, they also struggle with a lot of the same areas, but... You know, one of them struggles with with just being a little bit more open about disobedience. You know, I, I just want to do it, so I'm going to do it. Another one struggles with more of the externals, like try to look good on the outside, but then on the inside, there there's some evidence of, you know, we need to work on some of this stuff. We need to work on pride. Oh, see, that that sibling was doing that. I would never do that sort of thing. So, so there's different areas that you have to work with on your kids, but, but start to pick those out and help them to see those sins. And there's nothing better for them than to come into the light and see God's truth for them. Don't let them be deceived about their own sin. Don't be deceived yourself about their own sin. As if, you know, our, our kids have reached perfection or something like that. But help them to see that. Uh, also encourage them in, in doing when they do do what, do what is right. You know, give them encouragement, not just p- pointing out all their faults. You know, you're, you're a terrible wretch of a sinner, and so on. Um, we do want them to understand that, but uh, but also that that God does love them. God grants mercy. God is a forgiving God. All right. Just want to make a few points and. Conclusion, does anyone have any questions on why or what we communicate? All right. Here's some principles that we all ought to understand, but but it would be especially helpful for our children to understand. And um, I was just reminded of these principles this week. Myself uh, went to a conference on Monday with a pastor from Chicago area and... and, um, was reminded about these and really encouraged at at how God uh, communicates with His people. Number one, we need to recognize and, and our kids need to recognize that God speaks. God is a speaking God. Do you, do you realize that the gods of this world don't speak? The gods of this world are dead. And in fact, God, if He wanted to, could be a non-speaking God. He could just force us in some way to come to Him and and understand Him apart from His speaking to us, but that's not the way God chose to do it. He speaks to us. And He speaks to us through His Word. So He hasn't just spoken at one time 
you know, through the clouds like he has done or through a dream and just expected that story to be passed down. No, he spoke to us and wrote it down. Okay, so we could say it this way. God speaks and then God writes. God is a writing God. He, he writes down what he has spoken. And this is seen in, I've already mentioned, 2 Timothy uh, 3.16. All Scripture is inspired, written down. That's the idea. It's the inspired Word of God, and it's profitable. This is how God speaks to us. Jesus uh, was very closely connected. Jesus, The person of Jesus was very closely connected to His words. You remember what He said in Mark eight thirty-eight: Whoever is ashamed of Me and My words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with His holy angels. Jesus is saying, I am so identified with my words that that I'm going to say that if you are ashamed of me and my words, what I've said to you, then I'm going to reject you before my Father. You see, God, His person, is so closely connected to His Word. And that's why we seek to, at our church and in our lives, exalt God's Word. There's nothing idolatrous about exalting God's Word. It is, it is who God is. It's, it's an expression of who. How do we know God, apart from His Word? See, God is so closely connected to His Word that that um, that we can we can honor it. We can exalt His Word, and we can make it the center of what we do. So God speaks. God writes. And then I love this last one. God still speaks. God still speaks. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. And I could show you lots of verses that kind of point out this idea, but it's interesting that when the New Testament writers quote the Old Testament writers, they don't often, if any time, ever say, it was written. You know, it, it it was written in the Old Testament. It was written in the prophets. It always is, seems to be always, it is written. Or the, the tense or the idea of that verb in the Greek language is actually, it stands as written. It is still, you know, alive, written. Yes. Yeah, right. Right, I am who I am. Or another idea is, I will be who I will be that I always was and I always will be. That's the idea of that verb as well there. So look at Hebrews 3, 7 just in the, as an example. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit said, once said long ago, no, He says. He's still talking. And how is He talking? Well, specifically in this passage, He's talking through this, this uh, passage. Let me look quickly where this comes from. You can see that in four, oh, chapter 3, verse 7. Psalm 95. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. So this is how the Spirit's still speaking specifically. So we could say that that is the, way, the truth of all Scripture, that, that the Spirit is still speaking. Matthew 4, remember Jesus when He was being tempted by Satan. Uh he would tell Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, 
Okay, so he he's saying that the scriptures still speak. And so we don't have to worry about, you know, this doesn't seem very relevant for my my child who lives in 2013. It doesn't seem very relevant. And what what the scriptures show us is that God is a speaking God, God is a writing God, and God still speaks. He speaks through his word. So so the most um I guess the clearest way I can put this whole class is that we need to impress upon our children the Word of God. We need to impress upon our children the Word of God. Any questions or comments? Bill. I was just looking at Second uh, Peter one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, all scripture is profitable. Exactly. Hebrews one talks about um you know, God spoke in many times in many ways through dreams, visions, prophets and so on, but now he speaks through his son. And we could say, Well, his the son's not here. I mean, even when the book of Hebrews was written, the son's not here, how is he speaking through his son? And the answer is the Son is is shown to us, revealed to us through the Word of God, and that's how the Son still speaks. Vicky. Yeah, yeah. In a sense, I think you know, I think that's true. That we are. Um, I like to think it. Think of it like a conduit, you know, um, between them and God, not that we are their mediator with the capital M or anything, but we're their mediator, small m, I would say. You know, we, we help them to see who God is and we help them to tell them who God is to them. You know, so we're, we act both like the priest would in the Old Testament to the people of Israel and like the, uh, I should say the other way, the priest would, he would talk to God and then the prophet would be speaking on behalf of God to the people of Israel. And we, we kind of have both of those roles in a sense. Okay, we don't want to uh, sensationalize that idea that I just said, but but we have both of those roles that we're speaking on behalf of God to our children. That requires a lot of work too to try to sim- simplify the things of God in a way that they can understand, but also to be able to help uh, help them to be able to communicate with God and show them the importance of that. Someone over here had a question, John. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, we got to watch out for that. We shouldn't be surprised. You know, even a person like Judas, who was under the direct teaching of our Savior, uh, could turn away. So why couldn't one of our children do the same? I mean, obviously he wasn't an actual child of of Jesus, but you understand the there's a close bond connection that Judas had with Jesus for all those years and yet still turned away. Yes, Bill. I was just going to say that we're 
Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that this morning, actually, not with regard to children specifically, but in general, that we are light, and we ought to walk as children of light. We're no longer in the darkness. We no longer are darkness. All right, good. Thank you for your attention this morning. Let's pray. We'll finish up that uh, discussion next week when we look at how and when to communicate. Lord, we're thankful for uh, many of us here who have believing parents and who faithfully impressed upon us the truth of Your Word. And we're thankful that You called us out of darkness through their loving and gracious testimony of, of truth. And we know that they didn't do it perfectly. We saw inconsistencies even while we were uh, kids. And even now when we look back as adults, at, at the way that they raised us, we see inconsistencies. But, but that actually gives us hope that we can raise our children not perfectly. We, we're, we're going to mess up because we are human, because we don't always have our eyes fixed on you as we ought. And so we're thankful that your grace overcomes our weakness. Use us, we pray, in the lives of our children and also in the lives of the children of this church. Help us to shape them with the, the truth of your word. And Lord, we're thankful for everyone else who did not get saved through the, the loving testimony of believing parents. Thankful that your grace overcomes even the darkest of circumstances and that you call out people from all sorts of different um, circumstances. And we pray that we would be able to see people saved even in our, uh, even our, in our area, in our relationships now, who didn't have believing parents, but through, but through the gospel that we're able to share with them, we'd love to see them come to, to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We want to see more worshipers of you. So we pray that you'd help us in that as well. In Jesus' name, amen.